By 9 p.m. on Wednesday, February 5, 1997, the Adderson family was anxious. Panic had already begun to set in. Richard wasn't home, and it was a school night, which meant that not only did 8-year-old David and 13-year-old Jillian have to get ready for school in the morning, but so did Richard. He was the assistant superintendent of the Valley Central School District in Montgomery, New York, some 35 miles away from his home in Dutchess County, New York. Under perfect driving conditions, Richard could make it home in about 40 minutes on I-84. With traffic, it could take more than an hour. Even so, he usually left work sometime between 5 and 5.30 every evening, so by now, 9 p.m., he should have been home. Laura, his wife, had begun making frantic phone calls to area hospitals searching for her husband. Richard's son, Dave, recounts the heartbreaking memory of his childhood. I think around 9 o'clock is when the, the detectives or the investigators actually came to the house. With the news that your with, dad had passed. With the news. I was upstairs. Uh, they rang the doorbell. I seen a couple guys in suits. And I'm just like, oh, you know, I'm young and I don't really know what's going on. But I'm like, oh, shit, you know, this, <laughs> it can't right. be good if they're coming here at 9. My mom told me and my sister to go upstairs. You know, we stayed at the top of the staircase. Uh, then we heard my mom start crying. And then we knew, we knew at that point that it was a wrap. So it's you and your sister at yeah, that time? Yeah, me and my sister were, were the only ones at the house with my mom. So that was, I mean, that was the whole sequence of how everything played out. We went to my, uh, after, they, after they told her that news and we heard her crying, we went downstairs. She told us to go to our neighbor's house, which we did. We watched uh, Sleeping Beauty over there, a Disney movie. It was my sister's favorite movie. So, uh, and then that was, that, was that, that night. There's far more here than meets the eye. The things we see now are here today and gone tomorrow. But the things we cannot see now will last forever. From the outskirts of New York City, Slim Turkey is pseudonymously hosted by Lee Purchase, with the occasional cluck from the Yonkers love chicken himself, Mr. Slim Turkey. That was the Apostle Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 4, verse 18. Obviously, with a splash of modern language thrown in, countless numbers of great sermons have been crafted from this verse alone. In it, Paul urges those who have become obsessed with worldly vices to look beyond the things they can see and hold to the things that are unseen and require faith. For those things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are unseen are eternal. Now, I'm far from being religious, but the verse does seem to apply to the case of Richard Adderson quite well. My interpretation is a little different from its biblical meaning, but no less profound. Life is incredibly precious, fragile, and short. And we don't need to look to any of the wars or atrocities or strife around the world to learn that lesson. The people we surround ourselves with today can just as easily be gone tomorrow. And tomorrow eventually comes for all of us. But our legacy lives on through our actions, our connections to family and friends, sometimes even our connections with strangers, and most importantly, the memories we leave behind. That last line of Paul's verse is incredibly powerful. 
And if Richard's killer is alive today, I hope he's listening. The things we cannot see now will last forever. Your guides are tired of you following them around the hollow dead ring of what was once a true sound. There will be no one there, and that's all you care to know forever in between. In stark contrast to his killer, Richard Howard Adderson was an all-around good man. But don't take my word for it. Listen to how his son Dave describes his father's character. He was, he was a good man. You know, he looked out for his friends, looked out for others. Uh, he'd give you the shirt off his back if he had to. Uh, a real passionate guy, loved life. You know, and he, he grew up in the Bronx, like I said, he was, he was a hard-nosed guy. You know, he was a gentle giant, like I said. You, you know, you, don't, you wouldn't want to cross him because he was, he was a tough guy. But he, but he had a good heart. He was a gentle heart, looked out for his friends and family. He was a family man. Overall, he was just a, you know, a great guy, a great family man. One year after his death, the Valley Central School District created the Richard H. Adderson Make a Difference Award to honor one teacher from the Orange Ulster County region each year who shared Richard's work ethic. That award was presented for nearly 15 years and stands as a true testament to Richard Adderson's character, considering he was only in his third year at the district at the time of his death. Richard Adderson was born and raised in the Bronx, New York. He earned a bachelor's degree from Queens College, but he returned home to receive his master's degree in education at Fordham University. Soon afterwards, he went on to teach special education in the New York City public school system. That would remain his passion throughout his career. Eventually, he moved from the city and taught in several school districts in neighboring Westchester County before serving as the director of special services at the Haldane School District in Putnam County, New York. That role would help him land the distinguished position as the assistant superintendent of the Valley Central School District. Certainly, there had been some moving around from one district to the next, but by anyone's standards, Richard's determination and tireless work ethic had proven successful. In 1994, he was hired as that assistant superintendent in a community of about 20,000 residents. Richard had moved up the ladder and gone from a special education teacher in the Bronx to the number two in charge of an entire district in the suburbs. But Richard never let success go to his head, allow him to become complacent, or disconnect with those students who required the most attention. According to his wife and son, he continually strove to make a difference both in the classroom and as an administrator. His career guided him toward special education programs. His wife, Laura, said, he felt he could really help these kids. He was just interested in impacting. Richard held a black belt in judo, another one of his passions. He and his wife were proud homeowners who had moved their family from the busy streets of New York City to the sleepy little town of LaGrange, New York. 
He surrounded himself with a core group of closely knit family and friends. And most importantly, Richard was blessed with a beautiful family, a loving wife, and three wonderful children. Two girls, the oldest of whom was enrolled in her first year of college and was well on her way to beginning her own successful life. His middle daughter, she was the budding musician, and his youngest, a boy, with whom he was just beginning to share all those father-son moments. Here's Dave again, remembering his dad. He used to practice, like, or show me ground moves for martial arts down in the family room floor. We had a nice rug, and he would practice moves with me. There was one time I had a town basketball game. I got called for a foul, and he got real annoyed with the referee. He ended up getting kicked out of the gym for causing, the, causing a, uh, a scene. Stuff like that, you know. He was watch, you know, watching NASCAR with him on Sundays when I was little. For the first time in his NASCAR Winston Cup career, Dale Earnhardt wins on a road course. There's a checkered flag. Big time Knicks fan. I remember going to games with him when I was little. Uh, Rangers and Islanders games we would go to all the time. Uh, we went to the 96 World Series game seven or game six when they won. Swung on and popped up again off third. Hayes has room. Hayes makes the catch. Yankees win. That was huge. Um, so he was big Yankees, big Knicks, uh, Giants and Jets, all New York sports all around. And then in an instant, everything changed for Dave, his sisters Jillian and Heather, and his mother Laura. Of course, every loss of a loved one brings sadness and pain, but I can't imagine what a sudden loss like that does to a family or how it must flip your entire world upside down. I searched online and found an article entitled Coping with a Sudden Death on Legacy.com, which helped me to understand the range of emotions when experiencing an unexpected loss. The article explains that surviving members find it hard to adapt because they don't have the preparation and time to gradually absorb the reality that the world is about to change dramatically. And presumably, the author is speaking about adults who've already developed some sort of healthy coping skills. Not an 8- and 13-year-old. Not an 18-year-old either. The article continues, quote, In sudden death, you're called upon to face a massive gap between the way the world should be with your loved one alive and the way the world is. The person whom you loved and who provided you with security is taken away without any warning. This is not to say that these issues are not confronted by those whose loved one's death was anticipated, but they were able to finish unfinished business with their loved one, to say I love you, and to do the things they wanted to do for the person before he died. You don't think that you're ever going to have to live without your parents. You know, it was, it was tough for me. Um, eight years old, he was my go-to guy. You know, he took me to all my, my sports. I was in basketball, baseball, soccer. He was always there. So it's, you know, it's, it's losing a father when you're, you know, I'm his only son, I'm young, it's, it's tough. You know, he's, he's supposed to be there, he's, he's supposed to be that role model, and uh, all of a sudden he's gone. Years later, Dave posted something to a message board devoted to viewers of shows like America's Most Wanted. On it he said, it's been 10 years now since it happened, and to this day, the pain is still the same it was the night it happened. My pops didn't deserve this. He was only 47. He had a lot of time ahead of him. You don't think anything could ever happen like this to you, but it can. It happened to me. I have two sisters and a mother, and I've been the man of the house ever since he passed away. 
It's forever changed my life. It's not easy for anyone, let alone an extremely proud young man to open up like that, to bear his soul to the world as it were, and talk about how he was affected by such a profound loss. And yet, the more I've learned about Richard Adderson, the more I've come to expect that sort of bravery and courage from his son as well. In the previous episode, I alluded to the bravery which Richard had exhibited after he was mortally wounded. He was intent on surviving a gunshot to the chest. And as the emotional and frenzied thoughts must have inevitably raced through his mind, his spirit never surrendered, even though his body would. We sometimes forget that fear is a necessary component of bravery and courage, and Richard surely overcame his fear by pushing on that evening. Again, he stayed on the phone with Jim Manzi, the 911 operator, for nine minutes. So we have Mr. Slim Turkey online right now. Uh, Turkey, how are you doing today? Doing good. How are you? I'm pretty good. I'm pretty good. So um, what do you got? Uh, so I think we were discussing, talking about his courage to stay on the phone for nine minutes and basically be his best witness. But it takes takes a lot, right? Because he got shot in the chest and... You know, most people will just tap out after that. I mean, try and stay alive for nine minutes and talk to an operator and detail what happened. That takes a lot. I mean, some people just get frazzled, you know, by almost getting into an accident on the highway. So imagine getting shot and being able to detail everything that just went on. Right. But before all of that, you have to remember, he was shot on the side of the road. So he had to get back to his car. There are people who would have been paralyzed with fear and they just wouldn't have had the peace of mind to return to their vehicle. Yeah, I forgot about that piece about him, that he had to crawl back to his car. So imagine getting getting shot, having the, the mental fortitude to say, I need to get back to the car to get to my phone to call and remember everything that just happened vividly. You know, almost like relive it, right? Because when you're detailing or recalling, you have to go through the motions again, right? So he had to pretty much go through getting shot again to remember everything that that guy looked like. Remember him driving away. Yeah, I mean, just think of all that it, that takes. Courage isn't just one type of thing. It's the it's the ability to, to stand in the face of the feet and say, I'm still going to do it no matter what. So whether or not he knew he was, he was going to die, I, I don't know what he thought, but at that point now, we just... I think that you have to have the, that amount of courage to say, I'm going to try and pull through this thing. That displays a lot of courage. That actually reminds me of an article I found online called Uncommon and Monumental Acts of Courage Happen in 12 Seconds or Less. It was written by Brian Brewington. And in it, he says that courage is not the absence of fear, but it is the willingness to act in the face of it, despite it. He goes on to say that Courage happens in 12-second spurts, and it's continually acting in those moments that we're afraid to or to speak up when something primal inside of us is telling us not to. When we do it time and time again, it becomes almost like a habit. So if we go back to what we're talking about, about fear, right? I mean, uh, not fear, courage. I mean, what do you want to do? Get out of my way, son. You're using my oxygen. You know what I mean? All righty then. All right, Turkey, thank you for joining me this week. Thanks for having me on.
You're part of the show, dude. <laughs> Just show my gratitude. I have no doubt much of his bravery and courage arose from his deep love for his family. He was their rock. He knew they looked to him for strength, stability, and example. And while Richard realized the importance of the father-son relationship, he also understood the father-daughter relationship was no less significant. In fact, it was through his oldest daughter that the younger siblings would learn more about their father after his passing. I think the anonymously penned poem, A Little Fellow Follows Me, can easily be adapted to the relationship Richard had with his daughters. A careful man I want to be, a little gal follows me. I do not dare to go astray for fear she'll go the selfsame way. I cannot once escape her eyes, whatever she sees me do she tries. Like me, she says she's going to be, that little gal who follows me. She knows that I am big and fine and believes in every word of mine. The base in me, she must not see that little gal who follows me. But after all, it's easier, that brighter road to climb, with little hands behind me to push me all the time. And I reckon I'm a better man than what I used to be. Because I have this gal at home who thinks the world of me. It's been over 21 years now since that fateful night in February 1997. And while each member of the Adderson family has dealt with Richard's death in their own personal and private way, they've all had to find the inner strength for one another, especially when one wavers and needs the support. But do you ever fully get over such a tragedy? We've all found our, our peace in the situation in different ways. I think time has played a big role in its effect on my mom. So, and my, you know, my sister, Heather, she's the older one. You know, she, I think, you know, it's still, it still hurts. It's never going to go away. It never goes away. Jill's quiet about it. She doesn't talk too much about it. I'm probably the, the more proactive one in the family that, that tries to keep up to date with everything. I'm always online. I still search his name. So we've all dealt with it in different ways. I was the one who pitched the 20th anniversary story to the Poughkeepsie Journal as an employee there. As you'd mentioned, there, there hadn't been a story done on it in several years. So I figured it was a good point, you know, try and get the ball rolling again on it. So that was a bit cathartic for me. You know, that was, that was obviously a main source of the information provided in that story. But we've all dealt with it in different ways. My mom, the time has healed to an extent, you know, the wound. But we, you know, it's something that we live with every day. And there's no other way around it. It stays with me. It's made me who I am. It's made me a stronger person. I hope this episode has given you a better understanding of who Richard Howard Adderson was and the impact that his death had on his family. He may have been the first official road rage fatality in New York State after the term road rage seemed to gain popularity in the mid-90s, but he was far from being just a statistic. He was a husband, a father, a brother, a son, a friend, a teacher, and so much more than just a number on a sheet of paper. I hope to continue to lend more insight into his character throughout this series. So where are we heading for our next episode? Well, we'll tackle the topic of road rage and to what extent this fairly new phenomenon at the time played in Richard's untimely death. 
I want to thank you for listening to the show and check back in a couple of weeks for episode three, Road Rage and Fish Kill. I also want to thank Dave Adderson for sitting down and talking about some incredibly sensitive topics with me. I appreciate your time. And if you like the show, please fatten up this turkey with some positive reviews on iTunes. And also check out our website at slimturkey.com if you have any questions or comments about the show, or maybe even set us up with some information that you may have about this case. As we say on the website, we're extremely motivated to get to the bottom of this. For now, I'm Lee Purchase, and this is Slim Turkey. Ah!